This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia Faby, and today I have with me Brittany Hegel. How are you doing, Brittany? I was going to say I'm doing good, except now you've got me mouthing the Top 10, Top 10, whenever <laughs> it's starting. <laughs> Oh, that's right, because I told you last week that whenever it plays, I'm literally mouthing to myself, the top ten, the top ten. <laughs> and again, I have, to give, I have to give credit where credit is due. Our top ten little theme uh, music is done by my boyfriend, Paul McCarthy, so you know, all that good stuff. But um, yeah. Gross. We don't like love in this place. This is a loveless, <laughs> godless place, Tia. <laughs> Um, actually, that's kind of true because that segues nicely into our um, theme of today's top ten. Oh, and it's- oh, oh I, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> it is the top ten worst couples in TV and movies um, because who wants to celebrate the best? We're not here watching movies and TV shows for the best. We're here watching them. For the worst. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be talking about the worst couples that just don't click. There's no chemistry. And oh God, do we wish that they would break up already. So that's what we're going to be doing today. But before I go any further, I have to tell you because I have to say it on air that yesterday I went to New York City and saw Betrayal on Broadway. Sorry. Oh, we hate you. Starring Tom Hiddleston, Charlie Cox, and Zawe Ashton. And it was all about breakups. <laughs> and obviously, it's in the name. Brittany, let me tell you, I was fairly close to the stage and getting to see getting to see Loki and Daredevil, let's just say that, that close. I was like, wow, um, I'm going to die happy now. <laughs> Just say you're gonna have a moment like my mom when she went to a Brett Michaels concert and she was up front and touched his leg, and I was like, "That's gonna be you," except then you get kicked out. Oh well, they were like super strict during the whole thing. It was that you couldn't get up to go to the bathroom, and if you did, you couldn't get back to your seat. You had to like stand in the back, and that actually happened. That actually happened to my mom, like, close to the end. She was like, I have to go to the bathroom so badly. She's like, I'm going to bust. And they literally made her, like, stand up in the back, like, the rest of the play. And That sucks. Like, I get it, but still. Wait, no, and here is even more of an example of how, like, strict they were. Um, We got there, like, 15 minutes early, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get a drink at the bar. And so I went to go get a drink, and they were like, oh, we can't give you ice. And I was like, did you run out of ice? And they were like, no, we can't give you ice because that's going to that's gonna make sound during the play. Like, it was Whoa, super what? Funny. Yeah, exactly. So 
it was very intense, but regardless of that, it was a really fantastic play, not really what I've ever seen before. Obviously, Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox are fantastic actors, and I would almost like to see this being um, translated into a movie, honestly. But that's not what this uh, top ten is about. I just wanted to kind of, you know, uh, get brag. Brag. (laughs) Yes, I want to brag a little on air for a moment. So that's my bragging. And we are doing the top 10 worst TV and movie couples. Whether that is necessarily that you hated both the people or you liked the people, just hated them together, yada, yada. That's what we're doing. So, Brittany, start off the list. All right. I'm going to go with one that I've had issues with since I was little which has always been ever, but um, Jenny and Harry Potter from the Harry Potter series. And my explanation for it is that not until, like, the fourth book do you have any, like, resemblance of, like, a romantic relationship between those two. You go through the first, second, and third, and you think, oh, Harry and Hermione are going to be together. And you're like, this is going to be the best. No, they start shut up, which I could almost do a two-part in that, but uh, they uh, shove uh, Harry and Ginny together where they have a very random, passionate kiss. Like, there is no mention of them together. They're, it's just kind of like a last-minute shove together. And I think even J.K. K., uh, Rowling said that she was like, oh, if I would have redone it, I would have put Harry and Hermione together. And it's like, yeah. You have, like, four books leading up to this moment. So I do have issues with it just because when you go through the books and you're reading or even the shows, so I'm going through the books and the shows, but uh, and then you go through the movies, and they never have any, like, resemblance together. You know, they kind of grew up together, and they kind of have, like, passing moments together, but thinking back to the movies – there never is, like, a moment that leads up to it. It's, it's as awkward as Captain America and that one girl's forced kiss randomly that nobody talks about in the movies ever, and then somehow they're together. And even in the movies, they don't even really show them together past that point, but it sets up for the future of all the Harry Potter franchise. Um, first of all, I'm going to say really quickly that I didn't mind Captain America and Sharon Carter, although, yes, very thrown in there and forced, and I felt like Sharon Carter was reduced to a love interest, but the good thing is that she is going to be a part of uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier series, and since Captain America won't be in it, we won't have any forced romance. But that being said... Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, because as you know, I I'm, I don't watch, but I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. I've maybe read some of the first book, so I'm very ignorant in this uh, in this spectrum. But isn't Ginny like significantly younger than Harry, or am I not right there? I I can't remember. It's not much much different. At most, it's like three years but I think it's like two years I'm not quite sure but yeah like uh when the sh- when the movies start she is like a little little girl like they're all little kids at the first point of the book but she is like the youngest sister like I think she's the only sister but of like all the uh 
the Weasley siblings. And so she's at least, like, two or three years younger than him, which is fine. But, like, when, you know, they're, like, 17 or 18 and then the person they're dating is, like, 15, it's going to get a little weird after a while. But uh, but as for when they're older, yeah, it's not that big of a difference. But it it does have a little uh, awkwardness, a little uh, a little fine lining where you're like, okay, where, where do we cross the line? Which, you know, I don't normally think that too deep into that part, but it just felt so forced and last minute. And it's like, yeah, they grew up together and there's mention of her. But it didn't feel like she was significant enough. That's why a lot of people were upset when uh, Hermione ends up with Ron instead, which that was very forced, too. And they're like, oh, if you looked at back at the movies and the books, you could see it coming. And I'm like, no, no. And I will fight anyone on that. Come at me. No, I mean, listen, again, I've never watched these movies, but it's, like, one of those things that's so ingrained in pop culture that you obviously, like, know the characters, but I remember even hearing about, like, say, Ron and Hermione, and I'm like, but isn't Hermione supposed to get with uh, Harry Potter? Yeah, because the thing with uh, Hermione is she's always, like, you know, always been with them, and and it's not until, like, uh, Oh, is I think it's okay. Goblet of Fire. I think is where everybody starts getting like pushed together for like a relationship, and I guess because like oh they're getting older, time for you know they're going through puberty, you know they're having romantic interests. But that's when they start shoving everybody together in random points, and I'm like, but it's weird. Stop it. Stop it. It's funny that it's like it's a young adult. Um, franchise where all these actors started off as kids and it's like I get it with like natural life you know people end up together but it's like did we necessarily need you to pair up every single character in this franchise towards the end like you know maybe they just no one ended up with anyone and it just ended with them defeating the big bad oh I know like go into it later on it just it felt very thrown together, very like, okay, we have books, and, like, the publishers are going, hey, you know what uh, would make this better? If you threw some romance in it because, you know, your kids are growing up with it and their interest in that kind of thing now. And my awkward ass was sitting there like, boys are gross. I just want to read my freaking magic book, please. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So I completely can can see where you're coming from with this stance. It does seem that it was one of those things that was probably for – because if you remember, J.K. Rowling was writing the last few books to kind of keep up with the movie uh, demand, right? So she, like, I believe wrote the first few books. um, And then they became movies. And then I want to say, like, the last two or three – books that she did were written, you know, as the movie franchise was kind of going along. So it's like it almost feels like she was kind of being, I know for a fact that one of the books she was being pressured to do on time because then they wanted to make a movie out of it. So it could just be that she was getting, you know, pressure from Hollywood. I do get curious about that because I I think about um, the books where, 
because I, I went to almost every midnight release, I think, except for the first second. First, like, uh, I think the second one had come out, and then there was Prisoners of Azkaban. But the one I really remember that was around the time that the movies were in full swing was Goblet of Fire, which is where they started throwing all the relationships together. So that would make sense, because then you have uh, Order of Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince which I think Half-Blood Prince would. No, wait. Oh, Deathly Hallows. Deathly, I keep forgetting Deathly Hallows because that was such like a last-minute book, too, where it was very like, okay, we got to get this this stuff rolling. Well, that's what I'm saying, is that I really think that that is kind of what was happening behind the scenes there. Obviously, we don't know for sure, but I'm just going to speculate here. So, um, Brittany, I think that this was a perfect way to start off the top 10 with uh, Ginny and Harry Potter and also a side of uh, Hermione and Ron because I am sure that there are plenty of people out there that are going to agree with you. I'm going to hit the number nine, and I think that this is going to be a pick that many people won't agree with, but I really disliked this couple, and I hated that they ended up together and I really wanted them to not end up together. And it is going to be uh, Liv and Major from iZombie. Jesus so. Christ. <laughs> All right. So, obviously, the show starts off with the two of them together. They were engaged. And Liv becomes a zombie. And she breaks off the engagement. At first, Major doesn't know. And yada, yada. And then he does. And then, obviously, we get the whole show going on. And then at the end, they end up together, and they live happily ever after on Zombie Island with a bunch of adopted zombie kids. Oh, how cute, right? But my whole thing is, Major really was a dick to her the whole entire show. Because, yes, Liv kept that from him, but that's not like a simple, like, hey, I have, like, hepatitis or something. It's, hey, I'm a zombie. Like, this is something that's sci-fi and no one even thought was, like, you know, possible. She can't just come out and say that, right? So Major held it against her, all this shit that, you know, she kept from him and that she was disgusting because she was a brain eater and everything. And then just like throughout the seasons, they really just didn't seem like they had much chemistry with each other. Even in, say, like season four, he ended up like kidnapping her one episode. And then most of season five, they're not even together. It's literally like the second to last episode of the series that they're like working together and they're kind of reminiscing on like everything that's happened. And then they kiss and it's like, but they weren't even together. They didn't even sleep with each other the whole entire fifth season. Like I would understand a little more if they like led that up, but it literally was like the second to last episode of the entire series. To me, it's like they were better as friends, like if they had never gotten back together. And But it was just so obvious that the creator, Rob Thomas, wanted them to be back together because he kept killing every single one of Liv's boyfriends. Um, but to me, it's like Liv had the most chemistry with Lowell in the first season and Drake in the second season. After that, it was like they, like, first of all, all of, like, prior to, after that, sorry, I can't talk. After the first two seasons, it's like they just kept trying to throw live with people, and none of them really freaking worked. Because we had this guy, Levon, 
we had Justin. I mean, of course we had Chase, and that was, like, super hot. And, like, I could have watched a thousand episodes about that. But <laughs> besides that, I mean, they just kept trying to, like, throw her in with these relationships where I felt like she had no chemistry at all, and especially Major. Like, I would have loved if they would have stayed friends, like, good friends, you know, just realizing that, you know, they were formally engaged to each other, but the people who they are now, it just doesn't work out but they can still be in each other's lives and still care for each other, just not be together. I would have been fine with that because they even show, like, throughout the series, Major, like, he was with this girl, Natalie, who he really liked, and then Natalie got killed. But it's like we already see that the two of them, you know, can find, like, really meaningful relationships outside of their own. And to me, it just always felt forced. They didn't feel like they belonged together after everything that happened. So I'm going to put Liv and Major from iZombie, and I would love to know your opinion, Brittany, even though I know that you weren't as avid as a watcher as I was. I was going to say, at least with iZombie, you know, I didn't watch everything, but I'm I'm totally agreeing on this one because I remember we watched most of the first season together, and I remember sitting there and going, huh, Major's kind of a dick, because didn't we call him, like, a major, a major dick? Yeah. <laughs> all, all the major <laughs> jokes. But uh, what I disliked about it is, like, uh, you know, obviously they broke up after she turned, and, you know, they said she was very lackluster with life, and, you know, it's understandable. They just assumed she was depressed. But he was almost, like... <sighs> He gives off, like, bad vibes for, like, the first two seasons. And I wrote, but can we talk about how iZombie is basically, like, the female version of Supernatural, where you have, oh, everybody that gets with them dies, which is very (laughs) true. It's like, uh... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just saying that uh, whenever they, uh... I'm trying to think. I think I even remember you going, oh, Liv's got a new boyfriend, and us going, well, they're going to die, so let's see how long that lasts. Because I remember you watching since the first season and how much you love Lil, and then it's like, oh, he's dead. And it's like, okay. And I remember you going, oh, here's the second one. And I was like, oh, okay. And then they died, and I was like, okay. You know, odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Odd. And by the third and fourth, we were just like, okay, whoever gets with her dies. Major, can- that moment when you went major to get back with her just so he won't be part of the show anymore <laughs> at some point. <laughs> with, well, like- with Jeff, yeah, Chase, Chase must have been like, she has like cursed, she has. Well, you get what I'm going to say, but it's cursed. (laughs) It's cursed. Blaine even made a comment about that in the fifth season. Um, I forget what he said to Liv, but he was, like, alluding to boyfriends, whatever. And Blaine was like, it's probably for the best. You don't have the best track record. And I'm like, Blaine is the Deadpool breaking the fourth wall. Well, considering that Blaine killed her boyfriend, Lowell, it's like, oh, you asshole. But, yeah, I just, to me, and you're right, like, 
I never really, I think, got over the way that Major reacted to finding out that Liv was a zombie because she really was just trying to... Because, all right, so just as, like, a comparison, like, you have Peyton, who also didn't know that Liv was a zombie. And when Peyton found out, she left, right? She left. She was all freaked out. But when she came back, she said to Liv, I'm so sorry about that because I really started to think how terrible that must have been for you to live with that secret this whole time and how you were suffering and I wasn't there for you. You know, it's like that's what a friend's supposed to do. But Major, like, never came out and said something like that, like, oh, how hard it must have been for you to, like, live with this. And it's like, no, he was just all about, like, oh, you kept this from me, you know, blah, 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 and now you're they made a made it very bad Exactly. And I just, I don't think I could ever, like, get over that. And then when they, like, made him a zombie and he was all about being a zombie, I'm like, you a hypocrite. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I agree. I agree. Because I remember even us watching together, I was like, I really don't like them together. I'm kind of glad they're broken up. So to just randomly shove them together at the end seems very uh, counterproductive. I hated that because they did that a little in season four where they were just sleeping together. And then they, like, you know, stopped that because they're like, oh, we're just sleeping together because we can because we're both zombies now. But then they, like, didn't do that. And then in season five, again, they weren't together at all. And literally the second to last episode, and I was like, I can't. This is too much. Like, never liked them together. Didn't feel like they had any chemistry at all. They should have kept Lull or Drake around. Because even Drake, like, I mean, I'll still always think that Liv was best when she was with Lull, but Drake was great as well. But after that, they all went downhill. So that's going to be my number nine choice for our top ten worst TV and movie couples. I'm going to move back on to you for the number eight. I know, that's where I'm like looking, you ever feel like you're just trying to sit there like, where do I want each of these to go? Where do Mm -hmm. I need them? Um, Let's see, I think I want to go with uh, Bella and Edward from Twilight. Wow, you know that we love Twilight. Can we just throw the whole entire movie and book franchise in the gutter? Yeah, just just throw everything in there. You know, as a kid, we sit there. I remember with the books, like, okay, the books were at least halfway decent, but once you get into the movie, you're like, oh no, what have you done? So, and which is the, also the reason why people are like, Robert Pattinson, Batman, this is gonna be awful. But hopefully, with the way that they've been doing the mock-ups, I'm like, okay, I can, I can get on this. But let's just forget Twilight happened. But Going back to it, um, what I really hated about it is that kind of the setup of the personality, it follows the trend of like, oh, very uninteresting girl with a lackluster personality gets with the ultra hot mysterious guy that only has eyes for her. And it's like, okay, this feels very teeny bopper. Like, what's going on here? And you go throughout it, and she is like obsessed with him. Like, it gets to the point of unhealthy. Like, I think even, like, she, like, throws herself off a cliff at some point in, like, Mm -hmm. a mad depression to, like, try to, like, have some kind of connection. I cannot remember. It's been a while. 
but it is very unhealthy. He even says, like, when he's like, oh, it isn't good for me to be around you. And it, he ends up leaving because he has this whole analogy about how a fracture takes long to heal rather than just breaking the bone and letting it heal. So he leaves. And she just, like, falls into this ultra, like, like halfway suicidal depression. And I'm like, this is not a healthy relationship. Like, he almost, like, the first time they they get uh which I think, by the way, they don't actually end up sleeping together until after marriage, which I thought was, like, kind of funny, a little old-fashioned, which is fine. But I was like, uh, he ends up, like, destroying the entire bed because he wants to kill her because, you know, he's a vampire. He just felt like a very unhealthy relationship and not something, like, people should look at and go, man, I want to be obsessed with the guy to the point that if he ever left me, I want to be suicidal. So I think, like, for the movies especially with uh, how poorly set up it was, and then you also, I, I just have an issue with the movies altogether, especially how they uh, how they shine in the sunlight, because uh, I think for every uh, emo kid that loved vampires, we were just like, what? What? Uh, you you were a goth kid, so I bet you uh, I bet you support that idea. But yeah, I'm gonna go with Stella and Edward from the Twilight series. First of all, I have so much like against the Twilight series to begin with. Like yes, as a punk metalhead goth kid back in the day, uh, Twilight was pretty much the thing that we all made fun of because I remember. Um, like even going to say like a uh, like a Halloween festival and at the place where you get say like your apple cider and everything they had a sip jar and they're like and like pretty much it was saying like for every sip we make sure a vampire doesn't sparkle or something like that and it was like hilarious but um and I will say that even though I have never really seen anything that Robert Pattinson is in. I strangely am okay with him being the new Batman because it's been so long since he was Edward in Twilight and he even disliked his time on Twilight that I'm like, all right, good man, good man. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I have, I have so much against Twilight. I hated being in college and seeing all the girls run around with shirts on team Edward, team Jacob. And I was like, Oh Jesus Christ. But, um, you know, it is like this incredibly unhealthy relationship that doesn't, you know, it's not like this good type of representation of what a healthy relationship should be, or it's not even something that like young girls should even look up towards because Bella was extremely uh, codependent on Edward and really, you know, we saw like even me who never saw the freaking movies, but I saw enough to know that she was just completely enamored with him to the point of where she was like suicidal and shit because they weren't together. And that was ridiculous to me. And the whole thing about it between them, that it was just this really toxic relationship. And I don't think that when you have like a young adult type of audience and you're making it for them, I don't think that that's what you should have on screen. There's nothing that you should romanticize about this because she, like, seemed to be completely a shell 
just for this guy. And I hated that. And the fact that something like, like as much as I never thought, Brittany, that I would dislike anything more than Twilight. But then the fan fiction came out, and then we got Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, it makes me hate Twilight even more because I'm like, you already suck, and now you have spawned off Fifty Shades of Grey, which was even, like, more harmful and toxic, which I didn't even know was possible. So screw you, Twilight, and Bella and Edward for doing this shit. I hated their relationship. Like, I didn't need to ever watch the movies to know how much I disliked their relationship. And I will never forget, Brittany, I remember my mom got me the Twilight book, right? Because it's like, oh, this is like a bestseller. I had this friend at the time, Vanessa, who was really into the book. My mom was like, you know, this is what all the teenagers are reading. I'm going to get this for you, which thank you, mom, that you had this, you know, you, you, you kept me in mind there. But I literally shut the book after like five pages because it was you know it's all in first person and Bella's like I'm half albino and I was like nope (laughs) nope no one can be half albino this is already Mary Sue as hell so nope (laughs) I I think what gets me about that entire thing is uh it's been a while since the books and the movies and everything but um is that I think the whole point of her living with her dad is like her dad's great, her mom's great, her stepdad's great, but the whole point is that they live in, like, a sunny place, and her mom remarries, and her stepdad's great, but she just didn't like being in the sunlight. At least her dad lived in, like, this cold, dreary place, because she didn't like being in the sun, and I'm like, shut up, (laughs) you It's like you're not half albino. It's not that the sun bothers you. It's that you're one goth-ass bitch who wants to keep your fucking pale complexion so that you can keep up with, like, the the look. And it's like, listen, you, you just stay indoors, all right? Just stay indoors. <laughs> right, right. So I just like it. I can't even argue with that because I didn't go to the beach at all practically when I was like a late teen because I was like, I need to be tough. I need to have pale skin. You know, it's like, I get you, but no, I can't. I, and the writing was, the writing was terrible. I'm sorry, Stephanie Meyer. I know you'll never listen to this, but if you are listening, your writing sucked at Twilight. It was like, for a fifth grader that's what the level of writing was the font was like size 18 because oh I just can't I you got me on a roll I hate the Twilight series and everything it stands for like the movies were terrible looking you it's like it's fine if you want to take like a monster type of thing and rework it a little like I zombie right you know obviously you have zombies walking and talking but you take something like vampires and you make them sparkle. Come on. I was going to say, like, and it's like I do, I, it's favorite. It's like, but you didn't even read the book. I, I read all of them. I read up straight to the end. I have seen it. I, I know this series, but I was going to say, quick interjection of life story. I had my emo face, but my emo face wasn't much of an emo face because my mom was like, here's black clothing with skulls. Aren't they so cute? (laughs) She was the one that bought them all for me. It's hard to have an emo face when your mom's like, 
I support this. You look so adorable. And it's like, Mom, I'm trying to be hard. I want to say I didn't so much have an emo phase as I did a goth and punk phase because emo to me was always like My Chemical Romance, Twilight, blah, blah, blah. And it never was like Don't that. Don't you talk about My, I, my Chemical Romance. I'm just saying, like, I was never that type. Like, to me, I was very punk. Like, I literally had, like, the skulls with the fucking, like, uh, bow on the top and everything. Very, like, Hello Kitty, but, like, punkish and everything. Because I always remember there was this, um, and I'll go really quickly on this, on Real World San Diego, there was this girl on it called Frankie. And she had, like, a lip ring, and she had, like, a messenger bag with, like, Hello Kitty on it. So she was, like, punk, but it was, like, you know, not everything was, like, black and dark and all that. And a lot of shit was, like, plaid and all that. And to me, I was, like, that's what I want. That's who I want to emulate. <laughs> that was very hero back in the day. <laughs> Very Jeffree Star. So... Um, the Twilight series, never one for me, but it is perfect on this list. I feel like we should just one day, oh my God, we should have one day where we just watch the movies and we just bash them, and it would be brilliant. I was going to say, New York's coming. We'll, we'll turn our podcast into a video uh, blog of just us uh, reacting to the awfulness that is these movies. I would be completely fine with having, like, a special podcast for, like, how many movies were there? Like, like There's way like, too many? Like, four, I think. I, I'm going to look it up. You keep going to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search this for us. Well, I was going to say, we can have, like, a four-part, like, series of just us, like, talking shit about the Twilight movies, and I would be completely fine because we have actually a um, – Oh, gosh, what is it? The main Danny? Oh, God, they're going to kill me. But they are these group of guys that are now affiliated with us, and they have a really awesome show called They Called This a Movie, where they talk, where they do an episode on a really terrible movie dissecting it, right? So I'm like, I love that idea, and I want to do it with the Twilight shit. <laughs> yes, I was say, well, New York trip is coming up, and there's New York, watch out. The dangerous duo is getting together. Oh, my God. What she really means is we're just going to sit at my house watching movies all day. Hey, they don't need to know that. They don't need to know about the unhealthy amount of Dunkin' Donuts we're going to have and be sitting in our PJs, so hush. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, did you look that up really quick? Because I'm going to move on to oh, the next. Oh, it was next, five. Uh, five. Oh, Jesus freaking Christ. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know about all that. I don't know if I can handle all that. But uh, all right. So we talked enough about Bella and Edward. Uh, safe to say neither. We are team neither. Team anti-Twilight. But uh, my next pick is um, it's going to be quite a controversial one. All right. So I'm ready for the hate tier, but it's just, no. you know, this is an, this is an opinion uh, based list. It's nothing against the two of them. I just didn't like them together. I didn't feel like they had chemistry together. And here you go, guys. You ready for it? It is Luke Cage and Claire. I did not like them together at all. And again, ready for the hate guys. Come on and give it to me. But, um, you know, first of all, when we met Claire, you know, Claire for a while, up until, like, towards the end of all of the Netflix Defender shows, was in every single season. And she was important. 
she was the nurse. She helped everyone uh, nurse them back together and blah, blah, blah. And she was important. And I felt once she got with Luke, it's like she suddenly, her whole entire characterization was now being Luke's girlfriend. Never mind the fact that she met Luke when she was helping Jessica Jones, which, you know, Jessica and Luke are together in the comics. Like, I wanted them to be together. But that's neither here nor there. You know, things happen in the movies that don't always translate, you know, depending on the actors and everything. Whatever. I'm fine with that. Um, But to me, it's like as soon as they brought Claire onto Luke Cage, it was like, all right, she's going to be a love interest. I see it now because for some reason it's like, first of all, Luke like sleeps with every single woman that he sees. And I feel like they just threw, <laughs> I feel like they threw it in so quickly and I just didn't like it. I just didn't like it at all. Um, to me, Claire was very headstrong, which was fine. You know, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like Luke, almost didn't want that in a woman. Like, he had all these, like, really powerful, strong women around him, and he felt, like, almost, like, emasculated because of it. Because that's why they even break up in the second season of Luke Cage, because it's, like, his, like, masculinity is so fragile that it's, like, he can't handle that she wants to be more than just his girlfriend. She even says, she's, like, I'm more than just your girlfriend. You know, not just like, hey, woman, shut up, men are talking. You know, and first of all, I couldn't believe that they even made Luke like that in the second season. But to me, it was like, I never felt like the two of them had, you know, much of a connection. I also hate that, like, they knew each other for, like, one day, and Claire was like, I'm ready to die for you. Anything you do, boo, I'm doing with you, too. And I'm just like, what the frick is going on right now? And again, I'm like, yo, like, I don't know. I know that you don't have any... um loyalty towards Jessica Jones. I mean, you met her, like, once or something, but damn, like, that was her boo. Like, you snatched her right up. For, and not that I'm saying that I like Claire and Matt together, but I would have rather Claire and Matt together more than Claire and Luke together. I just didn't like it. And again, it's nothing against Rosario Dawson to me. I probably liked her the most in the Iron Fist season just because it was clear that there was no romance, you know? And it's like, I like that. We just got to see Claire as is, and we didn't have to, like, deal with a forced romance because it's like, okay, she's on Daredevil, so we have to have all this tension between her and Matt. And then she's on Luke Cage, and we have to get her together. It's like, I would have rather either how they had her on Iron Fist, where there was no romance interest, or shit, man, have her get with Jessica Jones. Like, if anything, that would be better. (laughs) But So that's my opinion, and I'm prepared for people to disagree with me because I know that people liked Luke and Claire, but I didn't like them together. So... Brittany, what do you think about Luke Cage and Claire as a couple? I think they're the best couple that has ever existed. No, I'm joking. joking. Have you not? Have you not seen Frank Castle and uh, Karen Page? I mean, Jesus. (laughs) That that's on my list. J.D. Morgan or um, John Bernthal, please come to New York Comic Con last minute. Please be there. I just I would give both of my ovaries, not just the left or right, just to take a picture oh with God. one of them. 
And that's why she no longer has ovaries. She just, because she took two pictures with John Bernthal, and she said, you know what? It's worth it. No, I'm just joking. It's it ovaries it. are fine. But, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I, uh, I just like them because you're right. You know, when Claire started out, I think the first time you do see her is in the Daredevil series when he's so beat up, which also doesn't that lead into one of the like most badass fight scenes between that Murdoch and all those people coming. Well, it's the I- first hallway scene. It's like the best, you know, because he is just, going at it and everything and he's tired but he's still kicking ass it's like it was the birth of the hallway fight scenes that we had to get in every single defender series after that it's great but that's where it gets me is it took away her individuality because before you know she's sitting there like okay y'all saved a bunch of lives but i've also saved a bunch of lives like, mm-hmm. my job is saving lives, and I've saved your lives. I've fixed you up. She saved the case, right, with the bullet whenever it was made out of that certain kind of metal that can pierce him. It's like she was her own person, and I feel like it would have been better, like, yes, keep her in all the shows, but take away the sexual tension of it. Like, it, there's no need to put her with someone. You don't always have to have two characters be love and trust together to make them you know, great to a story because she was fine on her own. But her being with Luke just kind of took it away where I I remember you telling me that and I was like, oh, you know, and then you don't really hear much about Claire anymore. It's like it it was just like, oh, that's Luke's girlfriend. Well, that's not right. Well, because I will say that um, Rosario Dawson did choose to walk away from the shows just because um, she said, you know, obviously the shows take place in New York, and it's not like she was doing, say, one one type of show like the others where she was in all the shows. And she lives in California, and she said that her daughter was, like, going to, like, high school, and she wanted to be there for her. So it's just to her, she was like, you know what, I kind of have to step away so I can be closer to home, which is understandable, yeah. but it's like her character went out um, with the last thing that we saw of her being Luke's girlfriend, you know? Like, that was yeah. her character's legacy. Which is sad, because I still loved all the other scenes. Like, she had such an impact. Because legitimately, I don't think half of them would still be alive if she hadn't saved them or, like, went against her better judgment. Like, Matt Murdock, whenever it's like, yeah, there's this half-dead dude, kind of should call the cops, and then we wouldn't have had anything else with him. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, she, again, had some really, like, to me, her best scenes were in the Daredevil and the Iron Fist ones, just being honest here. Because, first of all, in Daredevil Season 2, when she stood up to the hospital, um, like, board of directors or whatever, because, you know, they wanted to keep shit quiet. And she's like, you know what, I can't even stand this because... At first, they're like, okay, you have two strikes, right? When she, like, stepped out, and she's like, you know what? And she runs back in, and she's like, let's just make this strike three because I'm not going to stay quiet. And I was like, this is what we need from, like, a strong female character who, you know, she's not Jessica Jones. She doesn't have any power. She's not Electra. She doesn't have all these, like, years of fighting or training, but she's still, like, badass in her own way. 
I think it was nice to show that even regular regular humans could be heroes too. Because so many times, it's kind of like uh, whenever uh, I can't remember who said it. Was it Batman that was like, "Oh, the real heroes are like." It was like law enforcement because he's like, yeah, there's only so much I do, but y'all are the ones that have to deal with it day in and day out. Well, I like what you said before that um, where you said like, oh, yeah, all these heroes are saving lives. And it's like, but Claire's literal job is to save lives every single day that she goes in and she's doing it no matter what. Yeah, it's like they can stop. They can step away from it. They, you know, yeah, they made their choice, but it's like she's dedicated like an entire life. There is no alter ego to that stuff. There is just that. And I will say really quick before we move on, the quote that you're thinking about is one of my favorite quotes of all time from the Christopher Nolan trilogy, and it's the one at the end where Batman is telling Jim Gordon that a hero can be anyone, even. Uh, someone who's putting, like, a coat on a young boy, you know, just to tell him that, like, the world hasn't ended or something, you know. And it was like, oh, so good. So good. Oh. Um, but then um, he starts, like, uncontrollably crying on air. It, it, it almost happened. I started tearing up. But, um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. While my cat is just meowing at the door. Let's move on, and you can have the number six, Brittany. Um, this one's kind of collective, but it's because I have strong feelings about it anyways. Um, so I'm just going to – there's been so many movies made of it, but I'm going to go with Romeo and Juliet because there's been a crap ton of movies of these two, and let's talk about that their relationship isn't like – oh, the star-crossed lovers, you know, that, that's so tragic. It's like, no, it's like a three-day relationship where they meet each other once and decide that we need to live or die together and literally kill themselves over the fact that they can't be together over, oh, yeah, your parents don't like each other. Probably not a good idea. And that's why it's like trying to go fully into it is hard. But it's one of, like, the number one when people think of awful couples, it's those. Because you think about, I think, like, he's 16 and she's, like, 14. It's, like, they have, like, an age difference along with that that is a little questionable. But, you know, it is that time period. But we do have the Leonardo DiCaprio um, movie with, I don't know who he has that movie with. But their whole relationship is fairly toxic to the point of it goes back to the codependency issue of, like, uh, it, you know, they're like the OG uh, Bella and Edward. <laughs> I, I feel like I can say that. But, uh, yeah, and I think we and you've talked about this plenty of times where we're like, I hate when people romanticize them. Like, oh, it's so tragic. It's like, no, it was just kids going off of kid feelings. And not a very uh, adult-type relationship, which I'm sure Shakespeare didn't mean it that way. Because I think even if I remember reading the history of it, is that it wasn't meant to be like where people idolize them, but people do it anyways because people are stupid. Um, yeah, I believe that we've talked about this before because I thought that you were going to be the type of person who liked Romeo and Juliet and you're like, no, Tia, I hate these two. Um, <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I love when people are like, I want our love to be like Romeo and Juliet. I'm like, so you want to be together for three days. Your parents dislike the relationship, and then you die together. Sounds legit. <laughs> <laughs> That that's gonna be me. I feel like uh, it's very uh, say what you will about Frozen, but I love that the that Elsa was like, but you only met this guy for like an hour, and she's like, but I love him, and she's basically like, girl, you stupid. Okay, but I have opinions about Frozen as well because it's not the first freaking Disney movie to do this. Did you not see Mulan? All right, <laughs> did you not see Mulan? But anyway. Um, <laughs> I hate Romeo and Juliet. Um, I never saw the Leonardo DiCaprio one. The one I saw was uh this like 1970s version of Romeo and Juliet, and I remember that like my favorite character in it was Mercutio, and to oh, me yeah, I was like I could and to me I'm like I couldn't care less like what was going on between Romeo and Juliet, and I just remember first of all I think. She was like 13 or 14. Like there was definitely, she was like young. And it was just ridiculous because as she said, it's like this, uh, we're romanticizing this relationship because they're so in love with each other. But it was like, okay, it was back in the day when like families didn't like each other. So you have all of that going on. You guys literally know each other for like three days. And then you both die. And it's like, I didn't find anything romantic about that. It's like, girl, it's not worth it at all. So to me, I hate the fact that people romanticize this relationship because it's just not good. Oh, she was 13. Oh, God. How old was he, did they say? It says that it's never explicitly stated, but they think, like, he's 16 or 17, which is, like, too awful back in that time era, but still, she like 13. Yeah, no, I'm still gonna, it's still gonna be a no from me. <laughs> and, and I know, like, people say, like, I'm reading here where people are like, oh, it's, uh, it's tragic because they're youthful and in, inexperienced in the world and their inability to, like, cope with things. But I'm like, it's not really the, the book or the movie or the play itself, it's more of, like, people's obsession with the relationship that I hate more than anything. That is true. What has spawned out of it was terrible. And especially since I don't know why, I just remember, remember, um, like, Taylor Swift, she got famous off of that, like, Romeo and Juliet song. And, like, all, like, the girls out there were sitting there, like, oh, they want to be like Romeo and Juliet. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, unless you want to die, you should probably should uh, second guess yourself, my friend. <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. And for Sorry. those that don't know Tia as well, she, she's not about all that uh, love is magic bullshit. She's like, that's just for the birds. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So that type of, like, lovey-dovey, like, crap, like, no. Once we do, like, the best couples, which we'll probably save towards, like, uh, Valentine's Day just to be, like, sappy like that. But you know Frank Frank Castle and Karen Page are going to be on that freaking list, right? I was just saying it. I was just saying 
it. And then you're like, bring Castle. And I'm like, girl, I'm already there with you. I am already there. I've already been there. And I'm staying here. This is the, uh, what is it? The, uh, what's that saying where they're like, this is the thing I die on? Oh, I love those, like, gruff relationships where it's, like, not sassy and it's, like, but you know that even though, like, someone's being an asshole, they do anything for them. Like, I never watched really True Blood, but I love the way that Cindy would describe, like, Eric and Sookie's. Um, Is it Eric or whoever Alexander Skarsgård plays? Yeah, Eric. It's, like, I always love the way she described their relationship. I'm, like, that's a good relationship. I don't know. Um, or say, I can't think about who else I'm liking right now. But David Harbour, Jim Hopper with Winona Ryder. Jim Hopper and freaking Joyce. There is a relationship to die on. Oh, my God. But, uh, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I will literally Romeo and Juliet over their relationship. <laughs> Oh, my God. But that is not this list. We're doing the worst couples. So thank you for putting such an iconically bad couple on this list. And I have to say that it inspired me for my next pick. I did not originally have this on the list, but it has to go on now. Just because oh, it's no. Like, it, so my number five is going to be Cersei and Jamie Lannister. Oh, that was on my list, girl. I have feelings. Oh. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're dead to me. But continue, because I am ready for this. Um, <laughs> but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, freaking, first of all, Jamie and Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones, if you didn't know, by their last names because they have the same last name because they're brother and sister. They're brother and sister who are involved in an incestuous relationship and they have been, I think, they kind of say since they were like 16 years old or something like that, like their whole lives because by the time we get to them in the series, they're like close to their 40s. So they've been at this for a really long time. And they have kids together. Just think about that. All three of Cersei's children, who, you know, everyone thought was Robert Baratheon, her husband, are really her twin brother, Jamie Lannister's. Like, ugh. first of all, let's, you know, let's not even get to the fact that they're siblings, right? I mean, that's disgusting enough. But they really had no freaking chemistry with each other because. Cersei, first of all, was a bitch and completely manipulating Jamie. And to me, like, Jamie was the worst person when he was with her. It's like the first season, he's a douchebag, right? He pushes um, Bran off of the tower. He, you know, kills, like, some of Ned Stark's men. He's such, so despicable. And it wasn't until you got him away from Cersei that there were so many more redeeming qualities. Like, we see that he does, in fact, love his brother Tyrion. He does have, like, a soft spot in a heart. He, yes, is the king slayer, but only killed the king to save everyone. And he has, like, strong feelings about that, you know. And I'm not even going to get into the relationship with Brienne. Actually, you know what? 
Yes, I am. Because he oh, did my no. girl. He did my girl dirty. Because he was really good with Brienne, right? Like when he was with Brienne, he showed his best qualities. And then they get together. We think that this is it. They're finally going to be together. Because if you remember, Jamie rode away from Thirsty in this. Uh, final episode of season seven, and it was like the most satisfying thing ever. And then after he sleeps with Brienne, he goes back to Cersei. And at first, you think, oh, maybe he's going back to kill her. Nope, he's going back to be with her, and they die together as the rubble from the castle falls onto them. And I'm like, Jamie, you are history's biggest fuckboy. Because I believe in you, all right? It's the Tyra Banks meme. I believe in you. We all believe in you. I oh, my God, Tyra Banks. Yes. I, I choose to believe that season eight, Jamie Lannister never existed. I am willing to forego the fact that Jamie slept with Brienne just for the simple fact that then he would never get back with Thirsty. So that's my thing. It was on your list as well, so I'm not going to keep running my mouth. I'm going to let you talk about how much you dislike Jamie and Cersei. I think what makes me so sad about it is I, it, you are right about the Tyra Banks thing where it's like, I believed in you, we believed in you. I remember that whole final episode or like the, I can't remember if it's the final episode or the episode before the final one. But me and my boyfriend were arguing because I kept saying, I was like, he's like, I told you Jamie was an F-boy. I told you he was going to, like, be bad. And I'm like, no, there's still time. I think he's going back to kill Cersei. You know, I think he's going to do something. And then when he did that, and Aaron's just looking at me with that smug look. I'm like, that's what you put me through, Jamie Lannister, with your awful F-boy tendencies of going back to your crazy sister which you think about it their relationship goes back to the point of it's like they themselves are even though yes obviously they're related but Tywin's wife was his first cousin I think so this kind of goes like family deep with the whole incestuous thing but I do still have issues sitting there I'm like man you didn't father like, Robert Baratheon didn't father any children with her. Not that he wasn't capable, because we do have his bastard son, but still. It's like, I think Jamie was good for Cersei, but Cersei was definitely bad for Jamie because ultimately she did lead to his death. Two, it's like, he ends up, um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. He loses a lot because of her. He ends up, like, sacrificing everything for her and still... Cersei's like, oh, you weren't there for our children. And he's like, yeah, because they would have killed our children because they were bastard children of two siblings. And, like, she's just sitting there upset. She's like, you weren't there for your children. And he's like, bitch, are you crazy? Well, he, what like, to me, what I hated was that she was like, oh, you left me, you weren't there for me. And it's like he kind of was kidnapped, held hostage, and his freaking hand was cut off. I'm like, that kind of sounds like a bad rap to me, you know? I I just feel like Cersei was very selfish. And it's like, I understand, you know, she was nicer and sweeter back when she was younger before all the Robert Baratheon things. It's like, yeah. 
I get it. You went through a lot. Your husband didn't love you. He was still pining over someone who died a long time ago that was actually happy. And, you know, he killed her husband, which I know there's a lot of badness with all that going on, too. But it's like, okay, but that doesn't give you an excuse to, you know, kill a lot of people (laughs) and, you know, uh, everything else in between and get power hungry. And then... Let's not even begin to talk about Jamie. He did rape his sister right next to the dead oh. body of their child. Uh, that doesn't exactly sound healthy. <laughs> that was so uncomfortable. Because I was going to say that Cersei was definitely the, like, dominant personality between those two. Because as you said, it's like, you know, Jamie was good for Cersei, but she never allowed his, like, goodness to reflect on her. It was more so her bad qualities reflected on him. But, yeah, that scene was, like, it's, like, continuously hard to watch because it's, like, yeah, Joffrey was an asshole. And I don't think anyone watching Game of Thrones was sad that Joffrey died. But then Jamie's like, I want you right now. And she's like, our son's dead right there. And he's like, nope, this is happening. And I was like, oh, Jamie, Jamie. Jamie, stop. Jamie, stop. <laughs> it, it makes me feel like uh, with Anakin where it's like, you were the chosen one. You were supposed to be the one. And it's like, okay, I know we're laughing over in a very awful scene, but still, like, we, we were rooting for it. you. We you were rooting for it. you. Well, the whole thing no. is that, like, I really just wanted Jamie to continuously be a better person. Like, even if he didn't end up with Brienne, which I wanted that to happen, but even if he didn't end up with her, him at least being there for his brother Tyrion. Because if you think about it, Tyrion has gotten, like, the worst freaking, um, like, play on all this, right? He lost everyone especially the one family member who actually cared for him. Because if you remember, Cersei hated him. His father didn't like him. Jamie was the only one who actually treated him like a real human being. And I'm like, Jamie, you threw all of that away to be with this woman who, yes, I know she's your sister, but she's more so your lover. And it's just weird. And she's just bad for you. And now you're dead. And now you're dead. Uh, the the other Romeo and Juliet, except this one, they're related. So great. That's what it reminded me of. As soon as you said Romeo and Juliet, I was like, I have to put Cersei and Jamie down. It's like, it's a must. I was going to say, uh, Game of Thrones is in its entirety pretty hard to watch, but they, they were uh, among the hardest of reasons. I love Game of Thrones, but that eighth season was a tragedy. I know, that petition to rewrite it makes me giggle every time. Oh, yeah. It's like, guys, it's never going to happen. It's like, I hated season eight, too, but we just leave it at that. We just pretend that season eight didn't happen, and it ended at season seven. I mean... Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's never going to happen. That's how I Wait, feel what? about the petition. Oh, I know. Have you, I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mean girls. I love it. <laughs> but, um, all right. So, what is your number four spot? I am. 
you know, you mentioned this earlier, and even though I haven't watched the movies, but I've read about a lot of the movies, and my mom read it, and uh, all that good stuff, and you mentioned it a second ago. Is it Anastasia or Anastasia and Gray? Oh, God, Anastasia and Gray. Oh, God, yes, these two. (laughs) (laughs) Back to, uh, I I have a very bad thing about, I hate themes where the girl is, like, uninteresting, and they make a point to say, like, not that she's unattractive, but very plain and nothing, like, discerning about her, but the hard, mysterious man, like, loves her, and it's like, but like you said, he ends up like showing up everywhere. Like, cause we, I think we talked about this in a past podcast. He ends up showing up wherever she is all the time. And you think, oh, he's protective. And it's like, okay, there's a line between protective and like borderline crazy jealous or like the stuff he puts her through. I remember my mom not letting me, letting me watch the movies or read the books because she was like, I don't want you to think this is what a relationship is. Like, I don't want you to think this is how two people should like act together. And I'm like, okay, if even my own mother is telling me like, Hey, this couple is awful, then they're probably pretty awful. And I remember you even speaking about the BDSM community had big issues with this because they're like, this isn't how a Dom and a sub should be. This shouldn't be how, they're reacting together. He's very like, this isn't a healthy relationship to uh, practice this sort of thing with one another. And I like, I, if you know people that actually know these situations are having issues with it, I'm pretty sure they're the experts on the situation. And I think like he has issues where it's like, he has mother issues. He's very like, he has deep-seated issues. He's, like, borderline abusive. And it's like, you know what? I don't think this is, like, a good thing that people should be like, oh, I want that kind of relationship, like the Romeo and Juliet type thing. So, yeah. As the, like, uh, <laughs> on the top of list, which we get it because of Twilight, which we already have Twilight on the list. I feel like it's Pokemon where you have, like, oh, Twilight's evolving to... Oh, God, I couldn't stand Anastasia and Christian Gray. Um, So I never watched the movie. People are listening. are like, you didn't even watch the movie. I I read the book, all right? That's all I need to know. I read the book. (laughs) I read the first book and half of the second book because at that time I was tempting, right? And... You know, pretty much I was just answering phones, and they said that I could, like, read, you know, in between, blah, blah, blah. I was just there just to answer phones. I wasn't, like, an actual employee. So during that time, I decided, oh, you know what, let me just see what everyone is freaking talking about. Oh, God, it was painful. First of all, again, another horrific writer who didn't know – I could go on that forever and just completely bash it and just be considered really mean. So I'm going to stop, but their relationship was utterly toxic. And as you say, I hate when you have that. It's like you have this really, uh, this girl who's described as really plain. And the only thing that's like interesting about her is like how hot the guy is and how interested in her he is. Right. And it played on all, it played on all of the 
horrific trope, like, oh, she trips, you know, when she first meets him, and he catches her. I'm like, oh, God, already. Uh, I'm, like, gagging oh. over here. And when you talk about he, like, he was definitely obsessive because, and I met, we did mention this when we were talking about, like, Netflix villains, because this is what I like so much about the show called You. Um, Christian Grey, not, he bought on Anastasia, it's Anastasia, I think, not Anastasia, but Anastasia, he bought her a new cell phone, new laptop, he bought her a car. What you don't know at first is that everything that he buys her has a GPS tracker in it. What? So, he knows, so he knows where she is at all times. That's why he's always showing up. And she goes to visit her mom in Florida. They haven't seen each other in, like, years. And he just, like, comes out of nowhere with his helicopter. And he's like, come with me to dinner. What? Oh, and my God. <laughs> And she's like, okay, and, like, just leaves her mom that she hasn't seen in years just to go with this guy. And I'm like, what Whoa. is going on right now? Yeah. And he, I like, shows up and I cannot tell you the image I'm having in my head right now. That is. <laughs> that, no, no, no. It gets so worse. Hard. It gets worse. Hang on, hang on. It gets so oh, much worse. No. Because. Because there's one point where she starts a job somewhere, right? And she has this male boss, which who does end up being a creep, all right? I will say that he does end up being a creep. But before you know that he's a creep, it's just that he's a male boss, right? Christian Gray ends up buying the company because he just wants to have an eye on her. He's like, oh, now you technically work for me. And I'm just like, wait, what? Yeah, that's some OP money. So ridiculous. Yeah, I forget why he even get how he even gets his fortune. He's all like, I'm so mysterious and dark. I don't do relationships. I write up contracts for you to be my sub. And it's like, as you said, the BDSM community absolutely hated this book because it really like when the BDSM community is turning around and saying this is a terrible representation of us, you know you fucked up. Like, you know you messed up on that shit. Because it's so funny, even recently, I forget why I tweeted it out, but this one person literally responded to me saying the same thing, like, they hated it. And that's just hilarious to me that this, you know, because it was just so bad. Like, all of it was bad. He was completely controlling. There's that one point in the second book, because he has, like, an obsessive ex, and the ex, like, shows up naked to his house, and he's like, to Anastasia, he's like, leave the room. And then he turns to the ex and he's like, get on your knees. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Oh, you're was, like, what the, what? What? The whole thing, they break up briefly after the end of the first book because he beats her so badly. Because she, like, never wanted him to, like, thank her. And then she finally says it. Apparently he was so rough and so hard and so, like, uncaring that she like cried and she was like it was too intense for her and it was like that's why she left and I'm like you should have been gone and then he has this weird and it's like the one thing is people point out sometimes is that he himself was abused because when he was like 15 he had a dom this like really older woman and I'm like but that doesn't like 
you know, make up for the fact that he's just a complete and utter controlling douchebag. Like, I don't care. (laughs) And I think it also teaches people, like, oh, it's okay if people have money, that if they act a certain way, because they're just a different breed. They're just a different... Yeah, exactly. Oh, I hated Anastasia and Kristen Grey. Like, I, I never saw the movies, but I saw the trailers, and, like, even so, like, the two of them on screen had no chemistry with each other. Like, this is terrible. You're all terrible. <laughs> well, it makes me think of Alaska from a RuPaul's Drag Race where she has that song, Your Makeup is Terrible. It's like, your movie is terrible. <laughs> your movie is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Just no, like all levels of no. <laughs> um, that's a perfect uh, pick, Brittany. And again, wish I could have just a whole entire podcast just to talk about how much I dislike Fifty Shades of Grey. Like we'll rope that into the Twilight discussion because again, if people don't know this, Fifty Shades of Grey started off as a fan fiction. And this is no shade towards fan fiction. I'm a fan fiction writer. Brittany's a fan fiction writer. There are so many of, like, so many great stories that are under, like, the fan fiction realm. And the fact that this is the story that decided to get put into a movie is just tragic. Yeah. She gave us a bad stigma of, like, oh, Brittany, your phone is getting all types of cut out. Can you hear me better now? Yes. It's not just for me. It's for the audience. They want to oh, hear what you have to say. But uh, I was going to say, they can't respond to me, and then my phone blows up with, like, bruh, your phone is terrible. Get a new one. <laughs> but um, I'm going to move on to the number three spot. I hope that I'm not picking – actually – Oh, my God. Of course, the sirens have to start at this time. My bad, everyone. I was going to pick another thing, but I'm afraid that maybe you have it, so I'm going to hold off. I'm going to do a TV show. I feel like I've been doing a lot of TV shows, and you've been doing the movies, which is fine, because that's what the show is all about. But I'm going to pick something, and I'm going to have to explain it to you, and it's perfectly fine, but it should come to no surprise that I'm picking something like this. It's from Sex in the City. And it's Carrie. It's Carrie and Burger. Um, I forget which season it is. I want to say that it was like season five that they get together. Anyway, uh, at this point, Carrie is, um, you know, she's a column writer, right? And then at this point, she um, is kind of getting a book deal because they want to put her column writings into books. She meets this guy, Berger, who is also a fellow writer. They get together, and at first it seems like they have a really great relationship. They're on, like, the same page and everything. Um, And he, of course, has this, like, really famous line where he meets uh, Carrie's friends, and Miranda's kind of talking about this guy that she just went on a date with and yada, yada, and he's like, well, he's just not that into you. And, of course, that's, like, one of the famous lines in the show. They even made a freaking movie out of it, but... Um, then we see that not only is Berger being threatened by the fact that Carrie is becoming more famous than he is because her book is being very successful, 
and his really isn't. And then I believe that he even gets dropped by the publish uh, the publisher. So, you know, during this time, like, yes, he's kind of failing, but she's, like, just in the height of her, like, success. And he can't even, like, put it on to be excited about it. And then, the like, one of the biggest things is that he freaking, um, he has a book. And he gives it to her to, you know, read. And she loves it. Like, she legitimately, oh, my God, of course, the car is honking at this point. I can't with this in the morning. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but Carrie reads his book, and she really loves it. She even, because the whole, like, like show is kind of, uh, she, like, narrates it. And she's saying how much she loves the book. So she decides to kind of poke at him a little and says, like, oh, you know, you're writing a story about a woman who's in New York City, and she has a scrunchie, and she's just laughing at it. And he takes it to a completely other level, like, to the point where he has to, like, prove how wrong she is. And not only that, he has to, like, be a baby during dinner, and then they get out, and he's, like, telling her how stupid her hat is, you know, like just such a child and of course then Berger does the worst thing of all he breaks up with her on a post-it note a freaking post-it note she wakes up one day because they have this moment where they like almost made up right and you think that it's going to be their second chance and she wakes up and she feels good about the relationship she sees that he's not there goes to her um her kitchen and on the refrigerator is a post-it note going I can't. I'm sorry. And I'm like, what? What? Well, his name's Burger. So, are we? Really- well, that was his last name. So I forget what his first name is, and it doesn't even matter because he was an asshole. Oh my god! I I remember I I remember this now, but the scrunchie. I didn't know about the, the whole leading up to it. Because I had this joke the other day because I was wearing a scrunchie and I said, nobody's going to believe I'm from New York now. (laughs) No, because the whole thing is that she says to him that no woman who's actually from New York would be caught dead with a scrunchie. And later that night, they go to a restaurant and they're sitting at the bar and they see this woman and she has a scrunchie in her hair. And Berger feels all smug. He goes, see, Carrie, we're in a really nice restaurant in the middle of Manhattan, and she has a scrunchie. And Carrie just, like, looks at him, like, pokes on her shoulder and goes, I'm sorry, man. We're just having a conversation. What um, part of New York are you from? And this girl has, like, the, like, thickest Georgia accent. And she's like, oh, my God, you think I'm from New York?
honestly, it's probably best that they broke up. They were an awful relationship, and as we see through the TV shows, like, she ends up with better. But I think that isn't the whole point of Sex in the City is a lot of relationships coming and going because of certain aspects not working out and knowing waiting for the one true, like, actual good person to actually, like, come around but also do your own thing at the same time. So it's like that burger was a stepping stone, a very awful stepping stone, a, a post-it note stone. Well, to be, but, to be honest, she had, like, burger was a stepping stone, but the one that came after him wasn't much better either. Which it was funny, I was talking to my mom yesterday about this list, and I, she was like, oh, do Carrie and Burger?" And I'm like, oh, that's great. And she's like, you should do Carrie and the Russian. I'm like, that's great, too. That was also another terrible one. Like, <laughs> Carrie has, so has so many awful boyfriends throughout the years. And to be honest, like, like her and Mr. Big, honestly, were endgame, obviously, but he had a lot of growing to do. And he did. That, see, that's the thing. It's okay if they start out questionable. But throughout the series, he, he got better. You know, we see that. And it's like, that's great. You know, we saw the transition. But Carrie had some really bad ones before her and uh, Mr. Big got back together. I feel like I have to have, like, a quick interjection of, like, an of a story right quick. Uh, I feel like I had the post-it note incident because when I was in, like, eighth grade, this 10th grader asked me out, but I didn't have a phone because this was before, you know, phones were, you know, actually I think I was in seventh grade. I never counted this as a true breakup. Dated him for a week. He had my mom's phone number because my mom, we only had a cell phone. It was my mom's cell phone. And he left me a breakup message, like made sure that it didn't actually ring. That was like, hey, uh, breaking up, bye. And I was like, I think that's like the post-it note. Like, I can't buy. I was like, really? Really? <laughs> so, you know what, Carrie? I feel you with the post-it note. There, uh, do you remember back in the day, uh, you know the song, uh, uh, Let Me Borrow That Sock? Let Me Borrow That What? You know the song that was like, Let Me Borrow That Sock. Let Me Borrow That Sock. Oh, or the one yes, shoes? Yes, yes. That that same person, Kelly, um, had a song that was like, you can't text message breakup. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it, it's true. I, I have been guilty of it once, and I was, like, in eighth grade or ninth grade, and I still feel awful about it. So if you're thinking about breaking up with your loved one, uh, do it to their face, or at least on the <laughs> phone. But don't text them. And don't do a post-it No. <laughs> Oh my god, um, that's brilliant. I could again have a whole entire podcast, which is so funny. I should ask Cindy one day if she wants to do like a podcast for Sex in the City, just so that we could like talk about it all day. That would be amazing. But um, yeah, so my number three is Carrie and Berger from Sex in the City, and Brittany, give us your number two uh, choice. Can't think of the word for some reason there. <laughs> uh, it's like this this couple I initially loved, and I thought they were great and amazing until further on in the series. But I'm going to go with Fisk and Vanessa from the Daredevil Ooh. series. Oh, I know. 
Okay, so it's like initially, it's like even though Fisk is bad, it's like Vanessa was great. She seemed gentle and nice, and you know they have dinner together. You know she really does bring like a certain light to Fisk life, and you're like, man, okay, this is great because you know we have such a big bad, and we never get to see them actually have like a lot of villains have like a good meaningful relationship together, and it's like, does she own the art gallery or does she uh, just what is her like actual job again? I cannot remember off the top of my head. I forget if she owned the art gallery or she was just kind of like a shower at the art gallery, but something, you know, she, they met at an art gallery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, them going through the art. And I was like, man, this is a great relationship. Like, this is a great, like, softening for his character. Because even though it's like, yeah, he kills that Russian by continuously slamming the uh, car door on his head until it legitimately pops. But, you know, let's not remember that. Let's remember their uh, sweet relationship. And then it's like, you were the one that was, like, telling me about how – like, Vanessa starts getting a little dark, like, even a little dark for Fisk, who, you know, like, uh, the lady with the painting that, you know, he ends up telling her she can keep it, you know, she was a Holocaust survivor, and they end up getting it back, and she's just, like, Vanessa is so, like, cold about it, because, as you know, it's like, to get that painting back, you know, there was a small splatter of blood on it, because, uh, what's his name, was it, uh, Bullseye? Yeah, yeah, it's like he killed that lady to get it back, and Fisk was horrified because he does have a heart, even though he did kill that old lady in season one. Let's not talk about that. But it's like Vanessa turns into her own villain, and in some ways she's colder and more sadistic than Fisk in the long run. And I thought that was so crazy because it even seems to throw Fisk through a loop where he's like, and that's where I was like, okay, their relationship goals. And she softens him. This is cute. And then as it goes on, I'm like, oh yeah, Vanessa's the devil. Great. Wonderful. Maybe she should have stayed out of the country like Murdoch was like trying to make happen. So, yeah, I don't exactly think they're uh, relationship goals anymore. <laughs> I completely agree with you because um, what was great about the kind of uh, flow of Fisk and Vanessa throughout the Daredevil series is that it's one of those things where it almost is better in, say, like the concept of everything, right? So the two of them meet in season one, they have this very intellectual and rewarding relationship, which obviously um, happens very quickly, right? And then, uh, obviously, Fisk gets captured, blah, blah, blah. We don't see her ever in season two. And then she comes back in season one, and they're together. But it's almost like they're very awkward living together in that moment because at this point, it's like, it was such a great concept and they loved each other from afar the whole time. And then suddenly once they were back together, it's like almost like they were on two different wavelengths. Like they even have like a moment where you're like, is Vanessa not, and I think she even kind of alludes to the fact that she's not necessarily happy. Um, And Fisk is like, but I did everything to get you back. Like so that we could be together, you know? And as you said, I mean, that scene was definitely the scene that kind of made me really reevaluate Vanessa because this did 
I think that Chris saw this old lady and kind of saw, like, his mother in her, and he allows her to keep the painting, but Vanessa knows that Bullseye, Dex, is willing to do anything to kind of, you know, impress her because he knows that if he impresses her, then he has impressed Fisk, and then freaking, you know, Vanessa kind of alludes to the fact that she really wants that freaking painting back, and we know that Dex definitely killed that old lady to get that painting back. Oh, great. Wonderful. We love Bullseye. He's never hurt anybody in his entire life, Tia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, no, no. But, uh, no, I Vanessa is such, she's very snake in the grass. Uh, Fisk is like, I don't know what I got myself into. Help me, I'm scared. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know that Vanessa, I feel like she liked the whole concept of Fisk in the series, right? She liked having the very nice things. She liked being in power. I think that she very much liked that whole concept. But we see that, you know, Vanessa isn't necessarily a ride-or-die type of woman because now that Fisk is kind of caught and definitely going to jail for the rest of his life, um, you know that Vanessa ain't gonna wait for him. <laughs> yeah, she's like, this was right. fun. This was fun. This was great. It's been real. It's been fun, but it's not been real <laughs> fun. <laughs> That's exactly how it is. I don't know. I um, I just, I, you're right. I didn't like them in season three. I felt that something felt off, and I don't think that it was the actors. I think that they wanted it like that. I think that they purposely did it like that. So there's something weird with the chemistry between them. And I think that it showed that, like, yeah, this is great in concept. And, you know, I love you, Vanessa. Love can conquer all. And it's so grand. But it's like then once they're able to be with each other, suddenly it's not clicking. And I think that that was done on purpose. And I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I did not like them in season three of Daredevil. I guess you could almost use it as a metaphor for Fisk, a relationship with Hell's Kitchen and New York as a whole. It's like he wants it so bad and it's in his grasp every time. And so, like, when he goes to jail, not only does he lose his plans for New York, he loses Vanessa. And Vanessa is a fickle creature and so is New York. And it's, like, very uncontrollable. And I'm like, you know what? I can dig it. I don't know how Fisk and Vanessa are in the comics, but I just watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Vanessa is very much, like, not really a supporter of Fisk's, um, like, criminal life, because she leaves Fisk in uh, Into the Spider-Verse because she kind of, like, finds out what Fisk is really doing. So it's always one of those things where it's, a nice relationship when Fisk is putting on that blanket of just kind of being a normal businessman. But as soon as Vanessa finds out what he really is, it's not, she's not into it pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks for being a good person, at least in that show or movie. (laughs) (laughs) But she certainly wasn't a good person in Daredevil season three. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm curious to know what your number one is and what you thought that I was going to choose besides this one. 
Oh, well, I guess we should kind of giddy up right into it, right? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just um, excited because I was sitting there because you said it's such a time. I'm like, man, what was Tia thinking of that I wasn't thinking of? Well, let's, uh, you know what? I think this is perfect. So before we get to the number one on our top ten worst TV and movie couples, let's just kind of go down the list. So we have Ginny and Harry Potter um, from the Harry Potter series, obviously. Uh, Liv and Major from iZombie. Bella and Edward from Twilight. Romeo and Juliet from Shakespeare. Um, Cersei and Jamie from Game of Thrones, Anastasia and Christian Grey from Fifty Shades of Grey, Carrie and Berger from Sex and the City, Vanessa and Sis from Daredevil, and the number one worst couple, and I know that they really didn't get to be too much of a couple, this is just how much I dislike them, is going to be Black Widow and the Hulk. Uh, hell Yeah. Hell, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know if you were going to pick them or not, so I was like, oh, shit. But I absolutely hated Black Widow with her, like, romance with Bruce Banner. Nothing against either one of them. It's just their, like, romance didn't make sense at all. Because if you think about it, so this whole thing kind of, like, was concocted from Avengers Age of Ultron. And it came out of left field because neither of them had any sort of, like, real interaction in the first Avengers. Like, yeah, she went to go get him, and they obviously fought together, but that's about it. Like, you know me. I think that she had way more of, like, a chemistry-type thing with Steve Rogers than she did freaking Bruce Banner. And then suddenly they have it where in Age of Ultron, she's the one who is getting the Hulk to calm down so that he can become Bruce again. And they're having like that really big heart to heart about her in the red room. You have at like, say the party, them like flirting with each other and Steve telling, you know, Bruce like, oh, you guys are good together. You know, she kissed me once, but it's okay. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> You know, and then you even have uh, at some point Natasha says to uh, Bruce, she's like, I adore you. And I'm like, wait, what? And they, like, tried to kind of, like, continue that whole trend later on. Like, I forget which movie it was, but it was like, oh, have you heard from Bruce? And it's like, no. And then in Infinity War, when the two of them got, like, you know, met back up with each other, he was like, hey, Nat. And she's like, hi, Bruce. And I'm like, no, this doesn't make sense at all they had no chemistry with each other and I'm so glad like well I know now that you know um, unfortunately I guess spoiler uh, Black Widow is dead but I'm so glad that they decided to never really go back to that because it just didn't make sense to me it's like they were looking at Black Widow and they're like okay well in the first Avengers movie we didn't do anything romantically with her so we obviously have to do something romantic with her now because she's a woman and she can't just sit there and just be her. You have to throw her with someone. Who are we going to throw her to? Let's throw her to Bruce Banner. I'm like, wait, what? This makes no sense whatsoever. I couldn't stand their relationship. I think they are the worst couple and I obviously have a few honorable mentions, but for the number one on this list is 100% going to be Black Widow and Bruce Banner. So 
please tell me what you think about this uh, couple. Am I overreacting with them, or did you? Are you agreeing? I am agreeing because I wish I would have thought of that because that is great because like it it goes back to not particularly that the characters are awful they're just not good together and I did hate that it's like okay you have a female character it's like I get if you want to put her with someone you know and but make it organic make it you know flow better and some people love their relationship like my boyfriend loves their relationship and I'm like that is fighting words I don't I have <laughs> doubts now. Like, what is going on? But, no, it comes out of left field. And, like, I definitely think Steve Roger would have been better with her, but at least he got to be with his Peggy. So it doesn't matter. I will let that die. But, you know, and she had a great relationship with Hawkeye, and they were actual true friendship. Like, she was, like, their best friend. They were, like, almost like siblings. And it's like, okay, so you've shown that, you know, she can have this friendship with these guys and just, you know, leave it at that and not have a relationship. So why do you have to lead into this with the Hulk? And I guess because, like, oh, she's so seductive, very, like, Beauty and the Beast. But it's, like, it's not necessary. And it did feel forced. And it's, like, um, whenever – and then, like, they're supposed to have had this relationship, but then when she dies at the at, um, end game, like – nobody really shows that much emotion. Like, I know they're upset, but they're not anywhere near as as, as upset as when Tony dies. I will say, say, first of all, definitely in that movie, Black Widow was a throwaway character, which she shouldn't have been. She's been with the Avengers since day one. She was in Iron Man 2. Um, but A, I just don't think people are big fans of Scarlett Johansson, so it didn't have the effect that Tony Stark's death did, but I will say, Steve Rogers cried. If you rewatch Endgame, you see that scene, a tear, a tear goes down his cheek, so I'm just pointing that out. Steve Rogers cried over that shit. And I think what gets me too is, like, I know people are more upset with Tony because it's like, okay, he had a wife and a child, which is very sad. But I don't think having, like, a husband and a child should, or, you know, wife, should have defined Black Widow to be like, well, her death is less tragic. In a way, it is more tragic because she didn't have anything to leave behind. She had no family. Yes, she had Bruce and she had the family of the Avengers, but she didn't really, and she even said that to Hawkeye. She's like, let me do it. You have a family you need to get back to. I, I don't have anyone. And I'm like, that's really ultra depressing. Thank you. It's kind of <laughs> like, uh, you know, I saw this uh, sign the other day, which is, this is a uh, different lead in. But, it, you know, those signs where it's like, oh, she, you know, respect her and be good because she's a mother, a daughter, and, you know, a sister. And, you know, she means something to somebody. And somebody crossed it out and was like, well, she's somebody. It doesn't matter her relation to people. She still, like, existed and should be, like, treated with respect. And that's kind of what about Black Widow. It's like she was still a person. She still contributed. She helped with the Avengers since the very beginning. She was a find- founding member. Nimber. And she's like, she had a little hand in everything. Remember Iron Man, where she had the curly well, hair? I want to point out, first of all, you know that I love that shit, by the way. I like that she's somebody. Um, but 
someone pointed out that she's always kind of been the one, like, first of all, she always knows how to, like, hack into the systems and do this and that. And it's like she was the one who, like, exposed Hydra's um, secrets out to the world and everything. And it's like she really did make, like, the ultimate sacrifice so that they could even bring everyone back. Like, you know, Tony obviously made the ultimate sacrifice to destroy Thanos, but she did it so that they could bring everyone back. And, you know, it, that scene sometimes is a little funny between her and Hawkeye because they're both like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they're, like, fighting each other. <laughs> they're like fighting each other for it. Um, and then it becomes super tragic because you're like, oh, wait, one of them literally has to die. And it's when probably I watched it the second time, I laughed until I cried. When I watched it, I started laughing because I was like, this is so goofy. But she did have this, like, fantastic friendship with Hawkeye, um, which, as you said, kind of, like, shows that she can have, like, fake connections to other people. And I just didn't think that she had this great connection with Hulk. It just didn't make sense to me ever. And you know me, I was a total, like, shipper of Steve Rogers and Natasha. I thought they had, like, a hella good relationship and a lot of chemistry with each other. Of course, looking back, you could probably say that Steve's uh, journey was always to be back with Peggy, but I wouldn't have minded. Uh, it's like we didn't even know time travel was a thing until in-game. So up until that point, you're like, okay, you're stuck here. So get with Black Widow. It's so funny because, you know, obviously it's very much shown that she didn't have any family. Like she even says in Endgame, I had no one until I had this family and I'm going to do anything for them and yada, yada. But it's like in the upcoming Black Widow movie, we are going to see that she did actually kind of have a family. She was just like, (laughs) y'all ain't good enough. Like, you... You guys are communist Soviets, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to America now. <laughs> All of a sudden, my like podcast gets blown up by like the Russian intelligence and everything. Like, I'm just joking. I do love that she had a husband, and that husband is a very sexy, sick David Harbour. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's like she has in the comics, like she has had relationships. Because not only was she married to the Red Guardian at some point, but in the comics, I think she also has a relationship at some point with Bucky, which they alluded to so subtly. I can't. They, they slightly alluded to it in Civil War. When, well, also, I believe, kind of in um, The Winter Soldier, when she was talking about having experience with The Winter Soldier, but in Civil War, when Bucky, like, pretty much, like, chokeholds her and body slams her onto the table, she was like, you can at least remember me. And I'm like, yo, you could have set up for this. <laughs> it's like, can we talk about this? Can we go, uh, can we uh, touch on this? And, you know, I even watched a... Uh, thing it was like it was a like a little like cartoon movie about the children of the Avengers like basically like where Ultron had won and a lot of like the adults were gone and like uh 
and it's like the children. And one of the kids was like the son of like Black Widow and Captain America. And I remember I think Hawkeye was the only one still alive that was like watching over. No, it wasn't Hawkeye. I don't know. But each of them were like the children of somebody. And I was like, you know what? See, they tried to make Captain America and Black Widow work, but no, this child wasn't the child of Black Widow and Hulk, so, yeah. That's a small point. I hate the whole uh, relationship between those two. It just didn't make sense. Like, Natasha should have, Natasha should have been with Steve Rogers. It's the only thing that makes sense. (laughs) It's going to be super, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so the people are going to be like, all I've gathered from this is that they hate them because they really wanted her with Captain America. Those hypocrites. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to be a hypocrite. No, either way, she didn't belong with Hulk. It just had no chemistry at all. It's going to be super interesting to see um, Black Widow and her, like, interactions with David Harbour's Red Guardian because it's like, all right, it's been 10 years of the MCU, and we've never once had a mention of the Red Guardian. We've never once had a mention of Black Widow having formally been married. I mean, yes, we know about, like, we've been alluded to her past with the Winter Soldier, but never with the Red Guardian. I mean, as far as we know, she's been kind of with S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. Because, again, it's been 10 years, and she was with S.H.I.E.L.D., prior to even being introduced. You know, obviously she was, like, in the KGB beforehand, but it's like, but at what point was she married? Like, was she super young? Like, how long does this marriage go on for? Although, I don't know if they're going to touch upon it in the movies, because they never have, right? They've never alluded to this in the movies. They don't know if they're going to allude to it in Black Widow, which kind of wouldn't make sense since this is the last time we're ever going to freaking see her. But in the comics, I don't know if you know this, but in the comics, Black Widow is super old because she, too, has the super soldier serum in her. She's from, like, the Cold War Soviet KGB era. Yeah. Like, in the comics, she's also super old. Not maybe as old as Steve Rogers, but she, too, is, like, that's why she's able to, like, you know, kind of keep up with everyone because she's not just, say, a normal assassin. She's also super strength. And if you look at, like, the uh, the leaked teaser um, from, like, uh, D23, it's kind of touched upon because there's a fight between her and Yelena, who is going to be another version of the Black Widow. But she literally picks up this girl and fucking slams her into cabinets so hard that the cabinets break. And I'm like, yo, was uh, Black Widow a super soldier this whole time and we, like, never knew about it? That's like, uh, you know, I was going to touch on really quick about how um... – you saying, like, oh, when did they get set up together, you know? But I read in the comics that I think their marriage was arranged because, like, Red Guardian was, like, a Soviet hero, and they wanted yeah. to see, you know, and it's, like, that weird arranged stuff, kind of like, you know, how the Nazis did. Like, oh, yeah, look at this. We have these two perfect people together. They're going to represent our country. So maybe at that point, but... I like them talking about, like, that would be interesting, though, she has, like, a light 
dose of like the super like because she went through a lot. I mean, she survived the Hulk going after her yeah. at the. I was that the I don't remember which movie that was, but it would be interesting to know like, hey, is she older? Because that's a neat work in where you know a lot of Marvel came from, you know, years and years ago. A lot of those comics came back from the old days, so it would be interesting to know like how they worked in like, hey, this is aging. Like I know it's like they had their own version of moving things to the modern day, but it would be neat to know, like, hey, you know, that Black Widow you're thinking of is the old Black Widow you're thinking of. Well, because, first of all, we know that, like, the Red Guardian is definitely going to have the super serum because they keep saying he's a, you know, relic of the Cold War, which was decades ago. And the Red Guardian was made to be, like, a shining symbol of Russia. So it's kind of makes sense if they're like, hey, we're going to take this guy who's our pretty much version of Captain America, who's pretty much owned by the country, because that's what, you know, the difference kind of is between Red Guardian and Captain America. And then you have Black Widow, who's literally part of a, you know, KGB type of uh, program that makes these super soldiers. And they're like, these are two perfect human beings. We're going to put them together. That would make sense. And really quick, I wanted to get into... um, you know, you said that, like, a lot of these comics are from older times, and how do we, you know, keep that up with today's day and age? Because that is apparently a big uh, problem when they think about introducing someone like Magneto into the MCU. Magneto's whole entire, like, past and, like, establishment is that he is a Holocaust survivor. At this point, if that were true and he was a kid in the Holocaust and, and then we fast forward to like 2023, which is when the current, you know, MCU timeline is because of the five years passing, I mean, he's going to be like 100. So they're either going to have to have it where he doesn't age because he's a mutant, he's from another uh, dimension, or they have to freaking you know, do some other war. Like, someone points out online that even the current comics have made it where, like, World War Two was, like, longer than it actually was in real life, or they made, like, an own separate war to, like, explain, like, Vietnam or something. So they're going to have to get super creative in order to, how, to figure out how to introduce Magneto into the MCU. That's where it is interesting because I don't want them to change that for him because I think it makes up so much of what he is and why he has such issues with, like, the discrimination against the mutants because he feels like it's very reminiscent of, like, you know, what he went through as a child. So I feel like to change that would be, like, changing his core of, like, his history. Well, exactly. So, I mean, it'll be super interesting. Someone did point out that apparently Marvel is looking for um, actors of color to play Magneto and Professor X. So someone pointed out that you could have someone who is um, like African-American playing Magneto and instead of it being a Holocaust survivor have like, you know, the, um, oh God, why can't I think of it right now? You know, like, Oh my god, people are gonna like really bash me for this. What is it called, Brittany? <laughs> which which part? Which what are you? Give me uh, give me something to feed off of. Oh my god, I'm like completely making a fool out of myself. The you know 
during like the 60s and 70s and everything, what, you know, African Americans so, had to go through in order to the civil rights movement, right? Yeah. You have, the rights. Oh my God, please. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm just not thinking well. I did not get coffee today. But, you know, you could have something where you have like a Magneto who is African American and have it where he went through that because that is a little bit more current. So they, he wouldn't necessarily be so old. I mean, he would kind of be old, but not nearly as old as he would be as like a Holocaust survivor. And I know that a lot of people were saying about changing the backstory like that and changing races for uh, Magneto and them because wasn't X-Men like a, uh, but it was, it was another word yeah. for, I'm trying to. Stanley like, pretty much um, the inspiration behind the, you know, turmoil between Magneto and Professor X was completely based on um, Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Like, absolutely 100%, he found inspiration from those two in order to create Magneto and Professor X. Okay, that's what I thought, because I remember it was supposed to be like, uh, it was controversial for that time to even have the X-Men, because they're like, a lot of people were like, oh, that's wrong, but obviously it wasn't wrong, you know what I mean? It's just that it it's interesting how our world has changed and how things that were okay at some point are not okay now, or things that were not okay are, are okay now. And so it is interesting to think of what direction they would take it in. Yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, for the most part, I've always been really happy with the casting decisions and even the changes that Kevin Feige has done throughout the MCU. So I'm just going to sit here and wait and see who he even casts for these iconic characters. It's going to be a few years from now, so we'll just have to wait. But, um, while we have a few minutes left, because we are on the top ten worst uh, TV and movie couples, did you have any, um, whatchamacallit, it, honorable mentions that you want to throw out there? I try to sit and think, but I, I will have like a, since I couldn't think of an honorable mention, I'll think of a dishonorable mention. Because I got so upset that when I was looking for like a, like examples or trying to like you know jump start my brain a lot of people put edward and vivian from uh pretty woman i was like how dare you you didn't even watch the movie you didn't even watch the movie you didn't even know the deeper meaning behind it you can't just talk about it <laughs> oh god that makes me laugh so harsh <laughs> I'm going to cry over here, but I would like to hear your honorable mention. I have just like maybe three. So really quick, I'll do uh, from SVU Rollins and her uh, latest baby daddy, the doctor, which is a douchebag. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Carrie and the Russian um, possibly were worse than her and Berger, but yeah, that's just too long of a story to get into. And Thor and Jane. I oh, really oh, yes. I really didn't like Thor and Jane, especially after Thor Dark World. I was completely happy when they got rid of her and they said that they broke up. But 
as we saw not only an end game that Natalie Portman showed back up, but Taika Waititi has even announced that not only will Natalie Portman be reprising her role as Jane in Thor 4, called Thor, Thor Love and Thunder, but that Jane will become the mighty Thor in this movie. Um, I have feelings about that just because I dislike Jane so much, like no part of me ever wanted her back, but those were different directors, those are different directions, so I'm hoping that with Taika, because of what he was able to do with Thor Ragnarok, maybe, I'm not, I'm not going to be skeptical. I'm going to just watch it and see what he does and not completely be against it until I actually see it, because I believe in Taika. You believe it, yeah. I I do love it. He really breathed new life into the Thor movies because before they went from being my he was my least favorite to one of my favorites, and I'm like I was sleeping on uh, Thor <laughs> on Thor. But that's it's crazy because it's like it's the same actor, but it just really is the direction of where the director wants to go. So Taika um, has proven himself to be a very uh, smart and creative director. Um, I can't wait to see Jojo Rabbit. It just looks so good. But, um, yeah, (laughs) that is our top ten worst TV and movie couples. I would love to hear everyone else's opinions um, about what they think, if they absolutely hate our list, if they agree, and who they also think are horrible and should never be together on screen. But um, Brittany, before we go, I always like to give you a moment to kind of promote yourself and tell us uh, what we can find from you. I'm going to say Twitter and Instagram, you both find me at Brittany underscore Hegel. Been trying to mess around with cosplays lately. Me and T are going to be going to New York Comic Con with Geek Vibe Nation. Uh, the weekend of October 5th that we're very excited for. And so look forward to, uh, I like to make sure that I'm keeping up and current what, what's going on with Geek 5 because they are a great source of the most upcoming news for everything geek related. But I was going to say, uh, definitely follow us because we're definitely going to be trying to take a lot of pictures and keep up to date what what's going on at New York Comic Con. Absolutely. Um, New York Comic Con is only like two and a half weeks away, not even. So definitely make sure you keep um, an eye out on Geek Vibes Nation for all of your up-to-date information on that. We have plenty of info on upcoming panels that are happening. Um, Brittany and I will be there along with a few other members of our association. I also have on Geek Vibes an article on how to prepare best for New York Comic Con. So make sure you read that because there are a few things that you need to know. As always, check me out on Twitter and Instagram. My name is Tia, C-I-A, S-A-V-I. Got lots of stuff going on. I have my review for Betrayal coming out soon. Make sure you just uh, always keep a lookout on GeekVibesNation.com. We have plenty of reviews, articles, news, uh, throwback Thursdays, and a shit ton of awesome podcasts like this one to listen to. Later on today, we got Geek Vibes Live. We'll be talking about, I'm sure, Jane Sun's uh, announced cast for The Suicide Squad, as well as the Magneto and Professor X News. And then just also keep an eye on the rest of the week. Awesome uh, stuff going on. I just did an interview with this actor, Zach Robidoff, which was really fun and just really great. There's been so much stuff um 
did one with uh, Trevor and Owen Long, so I'm not going to ramble about that anymore. You can check it out. Thank you, everyone, and make sure you keep an eye on next weekend for our next Top 10. Thank you, Brittany, and thank you, audience. Thank you. Y'all have a great day.